Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Pastor Joe here, and today we're bringing to you our latest sermon in our Autumn Reflection Series. We started this series last week as we've been thinking about how to prepare ourselves for all that is to come, both reflecting on the past and looking forward to the winter and to the new year. Um, This week, we focused on prayer and reimagining what prayer might be, uh, to whom we pray, for what we pray. And so uh, we drew from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Check it out. So here in Seattle, we're preparing to transition into the season of rain and clouds. Yes, we've had a beautiful summer, um, but now when I open up my weather app on my phone, I see cloudy and partly cloudy and then eight straight days of showers. And as the weather changes uh, from one season to another, my family and I, we have also been making the necessary changes to be prepared for what's to come. We uh, have our space heaters now out in each of our rooms. We've put away a lot of our summer clothes uh, and brought out our warmer clothes, our sweaters and our rain gear. We, we've cleaned out our gutters and we've brought in some of the outdoor furniture. And as we all navigate uh, in these transitions into these new rhythms from, from summer to fall, from all online to now include on, uh, in-person ways of gathering, I'm reminded of how important it is to be prepared, to be centered. And I think that's why we started this uh, Autumn Reflection series and this journey into First Timothy so that we can be preparing, so that we could be centering ourselves for the fall and for the winter and for all that is to come ahead. And so just for a quick review, we, we, we are looking into First Timothy and, and we actually don't know too much about this letter. Right? There's a, uh, enough uh, writing and scholarship to indicate that this letter could have been written anywhere from 60 CE all the way to the early 2nd century, making it unclear whether this letter was actually written by Paul himself, if it was written more in the earlier period, or by somebody who was one of his followers, or, or somebody who learned from him, or who was part of the communities that he had built. And just the same, we, we, we don't know uh, whether the intended recipient or recipients was addressed to one specific person. We, we see Timothy, but was Timothy a specific individual? Or was it to a community? Uh, does Timothy represent a broader community? Here's what we do know. Either way, uh, this, this letter was not intended to be read by one person alone. It's intended for the eyes and ears of the whole church, the, the whole community of believers who are trying to live into uh, their lives of faith. And we know this because as we go through the letter, there are times when Paul will write, uh, author Paul will write to you. And, and this you form is actually the plural, it's y'all. And so we know that there's uh, this directive for the whole community. And so we launched this series last week by looking at the stories we tell and how they propel us into the future. We, we, we name that it's one thing to, to articulate the instances of the past, but, but we name it as one part of that unfinished story, this ongoing story. And today we, we, we hear this instruction from the author that Nicole read for us at the start of the passage. We're going to focus on verses 1 and 2 today. And, and hear me uh, as I read it again. It says, first of all, then, 
I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and dignity. The author starts with his words, first of all. But if we read the rest of the letter, there is no second of all or third of all. That, there's nothing that comes. So in other words, this is not part of a longer list of instructions. It's not first in a list of instructions. It's first because it is the most important. This is it. The most important thing, above all other things, I urge you that your supplications, your prayers, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions. And so any prayer that you might have for yourself, for your neighbor, for your family, for health, for the wisdom in tough situations, and even in times of thanksgiving, any prayer that you might have, even for kings and all who are in those high positions, pray them to God. I wonder if you caught the difference between who or what we pray for and to whom we pray. See, when Rome was first established in 510 BCE, it was a republic, and it was governed by two consuls who were elected into their positions, and the system functioned successfully for about 500 years. But when Julius Caesar comes into power, the, the republic is now replaced by an imperial system. It means that one emperor would rule from now on, and in doing so, the emperor would become more than a human figure. The emperor would be elevated into the levels of God, even taking on the likeness of deity. And after he was assassinated in 27 BCE, Julius Caesar would be proclaimed divine and then accepted and welcomed among the gods of the state, officially allowing for and often requiring of worship to Caesar. And so later in the first century CE, this type of emperor worship would become the developing and uniting characteristic of the whole empire. As the empire grows, it is this worship of the one emperor that keeps Rome stable. And so when we hear the author say in this letter to pray for the kings and for all who are in high positions, what the author isn't saying is to pray to them. Pray for them, yes, that all might lead a quiet and peaceful, peaceable life in godliness and dignity, but don't pray to them. That's reserved for God and God alone. Go back, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. This is a passage that is taught generation to generation that Israelites and Jews hold dear to them. You go a little bit further to the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any idol. You shall not worship them. So you see the author of this letter is telling the community to make a choice. You can either pray to the kings, pray to the emperors, pray to the rulers, in essence, making these idols, these other gods, or you can pray for them to your God. 
These words are not meant for only our foremothers and forefathers of the past who are experiencing persecutions and challenges of their faith in a different way. I have to believe that these words are meant to guide even us as we continue to journey as God's people. Because I don't know about you, but often I'm overwhelmed by all that is happening in the world, all that is happening in our worlds. Wars and conflicts, injustices in our communities, hunger and homelessness, our relationships suffer, our marriages fall apart, we lose jobs, we get passed up for promotions, we've been out of work for months, depression, addictions, loneliness, hopelessness, and what we do as people are prone to do is we worry. And then when we worry, we make plans. And when we make plans, we think we have control. And when we think we can get that control, we yearn for more control because we think that we can fix it, that we can make it better. Because we're taught at an early age that the harder we work at something, the better the outcome will be. We can fix the things that are broken. We can make things better and we've tied our human worth as humans to what we can do and so we do we work to get our kids in the best preschools and the best extracurricular activities we work to get into the perfect college we work to have the perfect marriage we work to get that raise or promotion we work and we work and we work We lose sight of God in the midst of our hectic world, in the midst of our hectic lives, and we put our trust and our hopes and often even our prayers in money, in job security, in our kids, in their futures, in the government, in higher ups, in these gods and idols that we have made for ourselves. We forget that as people gathered in faith, our trust and our hopes are to be in God and that we are to go to God with our prayers and nowhere else for the sake of the world. And so yes, we pray even for our leaders and we pray for our health and we pray for our friends, but we pray all of these to God for the sake of the world. Dr. James P. Wind, he uh, writes about an experience he had when he was visiting uh, Chicago years ago. And he had this opportunity to go to the city's Museum of Contemporary Art. And he writes this, he says, there amidst the uh, sculptures made of bubblegum and old doors, I came across a piece of art titled America's Joyous Future That Still Haunts Me. He continues, as contemporary artists often do, Erica Rothenberg took a piece of everyday life, in this case, a small church bulletin board, and turned it into a provocative work of art. In a manner familiar to clergy across the land, she spelled out life at one local congregation in simple white letters against a stark black background. Here's what it said. Evenings at seven in the fellowship hall, in the parish hall. 
Monday, Alcoholics Anonymous. Tuesday, abused spouses. Wednesday, eating disorders. Thursday, say no to drugs. Friday, teen suicide watch. Saturday, soup kitchen. Sunday, sermon, 9 a.m., America's joyous future. I wonder how you might interpret that art piece, America's joyous future. Do you see it like how many in our communities and in our world might see it, how churches and places of worship only use their words to preach beautiful ideas on Sunday while remaining oblivious to the real hurts and needs of the world? Or perhaps you see it as a sign that churches and places of worship are deeply immersed in human suffering, that their doors are wide open to the pathologies of the times, that we can be, yes, a place of refuge and support and love and belonging, and we can remind this broken world that there is still work to be done, that we are moving towards God's belovedness, that we are praying with and for one another to God so that we we might all experience God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. May we be bold. And may we be bold not just with our actions, but may we be bold in our prayers. That our prayers may be for the healing of the world, that our prayers may be for our leaders, that our prayers may be for one another, that we might see transformation in our lives, in our relationships, even in the conditions of our communities. Amen? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this time together, for the opportunity to be gathered and to pray to you, knowing that you hear us when we pray. And so, God, we pray that you would stir in us the courage to be the people you call us to be, that we might be bold, not just in the ways that we live, but in our prayers to you. And allow us to experience the vision of your belovedness, even now. For it is in your holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, that was our second sermon in our Autumn Reflection Series. Next week, we will uh, bring our final sermon as we look to happiness and exploring what happiness might look like for us as we move forward. In the meantime, I hope you have a great week. Stay tuned this Thursday for another episode, and we will see you then. Bye.